0: chapter two of frey and his wife by maurice henry hewlett this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two how ogmund dint did nothing and presently sailed home to thwartwater and what battle glum thought about it all that was why ogmund ravenson was called ogmund dint or dinthead Holwood's hammer had knocked a great hollow in his skull Men said you could have boiled an egg in it, but that is nonsense. At any rate, he was senseless for a long time, and not his own man all the winter. Yet, as soon as he was fit to be moved, he was carried up into the country to his house-stead, and given over to his bondwoman to nurse. Curda, who, although she looked as sleek as a stroked kitten, had a shrewd tongue and a clear understanding, employed both to his discomfort, but not until she felt that she was justified. So long as he lay bemused and muttering thickly she was all devotion, but when he picked up a bit, and presently would get out of bed and sit by the fire huddled in a bearskin, she did not scruple. "'You look like a shagged rock,' she said, and with a cave in the crown of it, too. Pity is that you had so little in your head. If there had been some sense or some manliness there, you might have driven against the hatchet "'Hulwood would have split it open, it's likely, and who knows what he might have eased you of—a lot of wind.' "'Such talk as that maddens me,' said Ogmund. "'I wish you had have done with it. It becomes you not at all, and puts me out.' "'That's a service I can do you,' said Gerda. "'You need something of the kind.' "'Woman,' said Ogmund, "'I am meditating my revenge.' "'Yes,' said she, "'and I have a hen sitting on a chalk egg. She's meditating also.' However, she did her duty by him, and as he got stronger, she did more. As she said, It pleases him, and it is nothing to me. Wigfus came to see him now and then and told him what had happened. He said that Earl Hakon held Halward to have been justified in what he had done, and that Halward himself was content for the moment. There was plenty more smiting in his axe, Halward said, and if Ogmund wants any more, he knows how to get it and where. Ogmund, brooding over the fire, swung his foot violently as he heard, but said nothing. He complained of pains in the head, and dreams at night. Gerda scorned him. Wigfus went on to say that he himself had taken Halward's deed very much awry. He had challenged Halward to a battle, and intended to slay him in that wise, or otherwise, but the Earl had forbidden battle, and had had watch set over him, so that he could not get away. He did not say what was in his mind to say— that he expected Ogmund to take vengeance on his own account, because the man was too ill to hear it. But in the spring, when Ogmund was about again, and seemingly as well as he had ever been, except for the dint in his skull, Wigfus waited for him to see what he would do. Ogmund went about his affairs, and had everybody in the haven laughing at him, and cracking their jokes at his dunted head. Some said that a sea-bird had made a nest for herself there. Some brought eggs from the rocks to put under her, a man wished Ogmund to keep it filled with water, and promised him goldfish from his next voyage to the south. Everyone called him Ogmund Dint, even the boys who played about on the quayside, but Ogmund managed to be very busy, and pretended that they were not talking of him. Whenever he met Hullward in the course of business, he looked sternly at him, but without greeting. He considered that the dignified way to deal with him, for the present." To his intimates he said that Hullward had taken him unawares, and dealt a foul blow. "'But there's a time for all things,' he would conclude, "'and so he will learn for himself one fine day.' Men looked at each other at such talk. Wigfus was now at him, insisting upon his taking vengeance. He said he would help him in every way, risking outlawry in the act, for certainly the Earl would resent it. But Ogman looked very thoughtful, and one day said— fairly that he did not see his way. "'What do you mean by that?' said Wigfuss, taken aback. "'We may easily do wrong, I believe,' Ogman said, "'and add wrong to wrong, until you have a regular mixin' of wrong at your house-door. "'But is that good sense?' "'I don't think so. "'Now, to my thinking, I was as much in the wrong as Halward was. "'I am a proud man, and as quick to fire as Touchwood. "'Everybody knows it who knows me.' "'If I met Holwood haughtily, I'm sure there's no wonder. "'We can't help our natures. "'We didn't make ourselves. "'Now, that being so, what else could come of it, I ask you? "'The man being what he was, a common fellow, took it amiss, "'and struck me a foul blow in the half-dusk.' "'He rubbed his hands together, then folded his arms over his chest. "'That's the way of the vile. "'They do vilely, and the wise man lets them be, "'and the proud man scorns them. "'But there is another thing which settles me in my opinion.' and I will tell you what it is. This man, Holwood, is befriended by the earl, and here are you, my friend, my kinsman, my foster-brother, in the power of the same great man. Your father is my foster-father, to whom I owe duty, gratitude, faith, and service. It would be a strange way of paying Glum, my scot, and lot, if I embroiled his son with an earl, and got him robbed of life or member in my quarrel. No, no, my fingers itch to be at him, i lay hands on him myself i tell you i have to run sometimes lest i should fly at the dog's throat he knows it too you can see that by the way he looks at me always at once but i will not suffer harm to come to my fosterer's son and there's end of it at this speech wigfus grew very red and clenched his two fists it is a strange way you have of doing service to battle glum and you will get no thanks from me for being more careful of my body than i am myself if you are not mad You are something which I don't care to name. Whatever I may think of your head with a hole in it, I have little doubt about your heart. You have a hare's heart, my man, and there's no driving a hare to meet a hound, and I will trouble you to talk less about our kinship than you please to do at present. You had a father as well as a mother, and he was not of our blood. Now, you may do as you please, but I should not advise you to hold these speeches with my father, and you shall hold no more of them with me.' with that he walked off, leaving Ogmund to explain to Gerda that it was no use reasoning with an angry man. "'That's the way of it,' he said. "'You try to do a man a service, and he reviles you for it.' Gerda bit her lip, and at last she said, "'You make me ashamed that I am a woman. God knows what sons you may have given me.' Ogmund boxed to her ears, but she said that he should give her no more sons, and she meant it. But Ogmund, whatever else may be said about him, was a good chapman. He bustled along with his affairs and made a great deal of money, and sailed away towards midsummer for Iceland. He came prosperously into Ifirth, and when he had settled his business with the ship, he rode by the dales into Thwart Waterdale, to stay with his foster-father, Glum. Now Glum had had news of the coming of the ship, and was told something about the affray with Holward. He said very little, but thought very much. Ogmund had a short welcome but took no notice of it. He was so prosperous, he had such a store of good clothes, that he felt that all was well, when it was by no means so. He began to take a great part in the affairs of the countryside, gave it out that Glum was getting old and wanted to be quiet, and that he had no one to look to but Ogmund, in short that all matters hitherto referred to Glum's arbitrament were now for his handling, and so on and so on. He had much to say about the management of the household. In fact, he strutted, and clapped his wings, and puffed out his wattles very finely. For a long while, Glum, who certainly was old, would not speak to him. But at last he did. Then he said, "'You had better know what I think of you, and maybe I had better have told you sooner. I think that all this strutting and crowing becomes you sadly. You have had my name in the dust, and proved yourself a poltroon, if not worse.' A man may be a craven, but if he holds himself bravely when there is nobody in the way, then he is a fool as well. Now, for the disgrace you have brought upon me, I desire never to see you again. Ogmund began at once with his excuse. But look at this, he said. How could I bring your own son into danger on my account? What is my revenge compared to such a life as his? What the mischief had you to do with that, said Glum. "'and how the mischief did it concern you, "'if he had no concern about it himself? "'Do you think all men are such rats as you are? "'Don't you know that I would have seen the pair of you dead "'with gladness if I knew that you had died like men? vex me no more, but let me be rid of you.' "'Then Ogmund began to plead in earnest, "'but Glum would hardly listen to him. "'He cut him short by saying, "'It comes to this, Ogmund. "'Either you are a man of long-mindedness and caution, and why you took such a high hand with Holward at first, if you are not, that beats me. Or, you are a bag of silly vapour, a bladder of dry peason. I believe myself that you are a cur, and am forced to remind you that you come of base blood. A thrall deals like a thrall, they say, and so I say. But you shall not stay here any longer. And Ogmund must needs go. He went away to his father in the north, and there he was for two years or more. End of chapter 2